0: This ADN Politics podcast is brought to you by Steam.Coffee, where we source, roast, and present the finest coffees possible.
1: From the Anchorage Daily News, this is ADN Politics, a podcast navigating Alaska's changing and sometimes wild political landscape. I'm your host, Elizabeth Harbaugh. Things in Anchorage city government have been interesting lately, it's safe to say. Amid a raft of executive-level departures, allegations of misconduct, and assembly inquiries, one particular official keeps coming up, the city ombudsman. But what exactly is an ombudsman, and how does the position fit into what's happening these days in the municipality? Well, today we are speaking with Anchorage Ombudsman Daryl Hess. Mr. Hess,
0: welcome. Thank you, Elizabeth. I'm happy to be here.
1: Can you start out by answering a baseline question for me?
0: What is an ombudsman? So an ombudsman is—it's a unique position. There is only one local government ombudsman in Alaska. That's the Anchorage ombudsman. So an ombudsman, uh, a government ombudsman, a municipal ombudsman, uh, we look at person's concerns that the municipality did something they shouldn't have done or failed to do something they should have done. So we would look at those concerns, investigate them— and uh, possibly offer an opinion or make a recommendation. How did you end up in this job? You know, I didn't even think about applying for the job till about a month before I applied. I'd actually gone down to the ombudsman's office to congratulate Barbara Jones on being appointed municipal clerk. And when I was leaving, she said, is there anything else? And I go, what do you mean? And she said, I thought you came by because you're interested in applying to be ombudsman. And I said, I never thought about it. And Barbara said, I think you should think about it. So I did think about it, and I applied. And what year was that? 2012.
1: So under, under which mayor?
0: Mayor Sullivan. It was during right after his second term started.
1: So before we dive into more of the particulars, I think it might be helpful for you to talk through two of your recent investigations. The first involved some signs saying panhandling is illegal, which were put up at intersections around Anchorage. That was early on in the Bronson administration. You looked into that. Can you talk me through that kind of step by step?
0: I was contacted by multiple constituents, including some municipal employees. And they were asking me, because they knew my background, that I'd formerly been the municipality's homeless coordinator. And one of them asked me, is panhandling illegal in the municipality now? And my response was, no, it's not. And they said, have you seen these signs and that are going up in the intersection. So I drove out, looked at the signs, took photos, contacted the traffic engineering department and, you know, asked where did this template for these signs come from that was provided by Public Works. So I called the Public Works director and said, where did you get this code citation that, you're, that are on these signs? And, and the director said, I Googled it. You know, I I Googled the code. We have an online program that we use for for the code. And he said, I found the code in in that program. And I said, did you look at the footnote to the code? And his response was, what footnote? And I said, the footnote where the state Supreme Court had ruled that that section of code was unconstitutional because it violated the Alaska State Constitutional. And his response was, oh, so unfortunately, the municipality had to take all of the signs down. They did some editing and put them back up. So we wasted, you know, $15,000 on the signs.
1: And currently, the signs are more advisory than anything at this point?
0: the, The signs now encourage people to give to nonprofits rather than panhandlers. And it reminds me of a program we did when I was the homeless coordinator, which was called Change for the Better. But interestingly, we didn't put signs up at the intersections. We would stand and wave signs, or we had a website, because you put signs up, and you don't want drivers trying to look at small signs on the side of the road. And quite frankly, drivers and vehicles can't read those signs. The only people that can read them are the people standing at the street corners with the signs. So, I, I you know, it's, it's a good thought, but I don't think they really accomplish much.
1: I wanna move on to another interesting investigation you did related to an incident that happened during the pandemic. Around the time the assembly was holding those chaotic meetings on potentially requiring masks, someone put a bunch of little white flags in the lawn of the library, representing Alaskans who died of COVID. The municipal manager at the time, who's Amy Domboski, ordered them to be removed. And someone asked you to look into that as well. What did you do there?
0: So I I looked at the relevant sections of municipal code. I you know, looked at the state constitution, looked at the U.S. Constitution, spoke with the Department of Law, looked at our policies. And interestingly, people think because it's a public space that you can stick signs up or flags up or whatever you want to stick up. Now, you can stand there and wave those flags, and that's you have the right to do that because it is a public space. But you can't just arbitrarily stick up signs or flags or or whatever in a municipal space without obtaining a permit or permission. So the administration, the municipal manager at the time was absolutely correct in having those removed. It did not violate any law or constitutional protections.
1: These stories make me wonder, do you have a legal background or is this something you learned as you went?
0: No, I don't even have a university degree. I'm a university dropout. Back in the day, I discovered cheap wine and uh, good marijuana from the valley and dropped out of college. I regret never going back, but I think my life's experiences were good preparation for the position.
1: I'm curious, can anyone in Anchorage reach out to you with a complaint?
0: I would say that 80% of the people who contact our office, it's not something that's jurisdictional. It's not something we would investigate. But our goal is to connect people with an organization, an entity, an individual that can best assist them. So out of all of the contacts we have in a year, which average about 1,500 Eighty percent of those are not jurisdictional, and we'll refer them to the congressional delegation, a state legislator, a nonprofit, uh, a business, uh, an agency. And usually, we're able to refer almost everybody to an entity or an individual that can help them.
1: And for things that do apply to what you might look into, how often are you able to resolve things without a formal investigation?
0: When I was first appointed the first couple of years, we would issue 10 to 12 formal reports a year. We rarely issue formal reports anymore, which some people question, well, is he doing his job? Are they doing their job? They're not issuing formal reports. But that just means we've been pretty successful working with the departments to resolve issues. Normally, a formal report is issued if the department doesn't agree with our Uh, findings and and our recommendation, then we would issue a formal report. And we could send it to the assembly with an AIM as a way to notify the assembly, the mayor and the public.
1: For you to investigate a complaint, does someone have to come to you or can you investigate whatever you want?
0: The code allows us to investigate a matter on our own initiative if we believe it's of public concern. And so we would enter that case as the complainant is Anchorage Municipal Ombudsman. We, we have initiated a few complaints on our own over the years.
1: What happens at the end of an investigation? If you recommend any reforms, is there a requirement that government officials make those changes?
0: No. We offer opinions and make recommendations. The administration, the assembly, the department can accept or reject our opinion and our recommendations. We have no enforcement power. But I would say 95% of the time they accept our recommendations and make changes.
1: Can you talk a little bit more about the limits of your job? Like,
0: What are some things people think you do but you don't or can't? Number one, you you just raised the number one issue. A lot of people think we have some sort of an enforcement powers that we're an enforcement agency. We're an administrative remedy office. We're not an enforcement agency. We cannot—and and people during the pandemic especially, we had literally hundreds of people who would contact us. They wanted to file a complaint against the assembly or an assembly member or the mayor— are the school board, and we cannot, by code, cannot inquire into actions of the mayor, the assembly, or the school board. We're prohibited by law from inquiring.
1: And an ombudsman is supposed to be politically neutral. So how do we as
0: citizens know you're neutral? What what can you point to to show that? The ombudsman and the ombudsman staff were prohibited by code from volunteering f- with or working on a municipal campaign that includes ballot initiatives and referendums. We can't donate to those campaigns. But we can volunteer with, work on our donate to federal and state elections. But I would have to say in the 10 years I've been ombudsman, I think I've made four campaign donations. I don't rarely attend fundraisers. Even though I can donate with or to our volunteer with campaigns, I'm pretty um, careful. Why is that? I think public perception is important. And I think if an ombudsman at any level, state, federal or local, is extremely active politically, I think people may question the ability of that individual to separate personal and professional it makes me think of the time that the black lives matter banners were on the performing arts center on the outside of the performing arts center building at that time the cover photo on my personal facebook page was those banners because as an individual i understand i support uh, the black lives matter movement i was an officer with the local naacp for six years But I had six or seven people contact my office and complain about the banners being on a public building. And when I looked at it, my determination was the banner should not have been placed there. And I sent an email to legal, to the municipal attorney's office. They reviewed the matter and they concurred with me. And the Performing Arts Center revised their banner policy. So now only banners advertising the Performing Arts Center are advertising events at the Performing Arts Center can be placed on the building.
1: And did that change what you did with your personal Facebook page as well?
0: No. No, because I I can separate it. I, 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 I have a right to a personal opinion. The code even says that nothing prevents the ombudsman from having a personal opinion. And that was my personal Facebook page. Now, had that been the cover on the ombudsman's Facebook page, that would have been very problematic.
1: Well, with that, let's take a short break. When we return, we'll talk a little bit more about current
0: events. At Steam.Coffee, we're proud to support great journalism, and we're proud of our pursuit of great coffee. We search the world for the finest raw materials and then roast them to perfection at our Anchorage headquarters, all with one thing in mind, the finest coffee possible in your cup. Come visit us at either of our Anchorage cafes or online at steam.com.
1: We're back with ADN Politics, talking to Anchorage Ombudsman Daryl Hess. I want to ask a question that I'm sure a lot of folks in Anchorage are curious about now. Have things gotten busier or more intense in your office under the Bronx administration?
0: The number of people contacting our office hasn't increased tremendously over the last 18 months. I would say this year, if you go year to, you know, since the first of the year, we're running... Probably twenty percent ahead of where we ran last year at the same time, and I think it's just because the anger level is so high. People are coming to us that are very angry, and sometimes they don't—they're not even sure what they're angry about, but they just want to express themselves. Is that pretty unusual? That, thats a loaded question coming out of the pandemic. Because we experienced a lot of the same angst and anger and frustration during the pandemic. We, we got a lot of calls from people who were just frustrated and upset with uh, elected officials. I would say the, the level of anger regarding elected officials is much higher now than it, than it has been Pre, pre-COVID, Your office recently
1: handled a series of complaints from municipal employees alleging a hostile work environment
0: over the course of your career. How unusual is that? I would say in the last year, our office has received more complaints alleging hostile work environment by municipal employees than in my previous nine years combined.
1: I understand you're probably limited in what you can say about that, but is there anything more you'd like the public to know about that, to understand that a bit better?
0: Based on my experience, and I've I've worked for two mayors and an acting mayor before I went to work for the legislative branch. Every administration, every mayor will appoint executives based on personal relationships are political considerations rather than exclusively on their qualifications. And it's not unusual that those appointees may demonstrate that they are not particularly qualified for that position, and mayors will generally find a way to ease them out. And I think recently individuals who may not be qualified have not been eased out.
1: You were at the center of a story we covered at the Daily News in January. Um, City employees accused a person in Anchorage Mayor Dave Bronson's administration of downloading City Hall surveillance videos to see who has been going to your office. You were told about it. You referred the matter to municipal prosecutors, who then referred it to the state. Then you were yourself accused of wrongdoing by one of the mayor's top aides who left his office. Again, understanding you're limited in what you can say about these things. What more can you say to the public about what happened there?
0: So I was contacted by multiple employees at the municipality who alleged that an executive with the municipality had been telling municipal employees that the mayor's office was having the video surveillance videos from City Hall downloaded and was to see who was go- coming and going from the ombudsman's office. I looked into it. I Do not believe that the videos were downloaded. I could find no evidence. But I was obligated, I believe, because I, I perceived it to be potentially a criminal offense. Even if the videos weren't downloaded, the act of intimidating employees could be criminal under state statute. I had an obligation to refer it out, but I also had an obligation to notify the administration and the Assembly leadership. And so I did notify the mayor's chief of staff and the municipal manager and the acting municipal attorney. I gave them a heads up. I sent them an email at least 24 hours to 36 hours before I notified the Assembly leadership. And then I drafted a a memo to the Assembly, which was addressed to the mayor and the assembly and I sent it to the assembly with an AIM to to inform the assembly the mayor and the public that I was referring the matter out and I know somebody I never disclose the name of the individual if you look at my memo it's gender neutral it says an executive it doesn't name their position doesn't name what what office they worked in because a. Uh, accusation, an allegation of a potentially a criminal action, you have to be very careful because people are innocent until proven guilty. And there, I, I had no proof, you know, I, I did not dive deeply into this. I did not conduct a thorough investigation, but based on the testimony of four or five municipal employees, I had a reasonable belief that it occurred And I am not a criminal investigator, so I I had to refer it out. And so I know somebody alleged that I violated the rights of, of a municipal employee through the memo, but I don't see how I could have violated anybody's rights or due process because there's no way reading the memo that you can figure out who the employee was.
1: Had you ever referred something to prosecutors before? First time. What kind of relationship do you have with Mayor Bronson? Do you feel like he's receptive to the work you do overall?
0: I believe he is. We, I actually have a good professional relationship with the mayor. When we run into each other, we tend to talk about biking, bicycling. He likes to bicycle. I I love bicycling. I bicycled 1,000 miles around Anchorage last year, and I walked 2,000. So we have some common interests, and... Uh, We try to keep the conversations positive. I believe the mayor knows that I try to be impartial and neutral, and I'm doing my job.
1: Broadly, I'm curious, are there any changes that have happened in city government that you've helped
0: make that you're particularly proud of over your career? A few years ago, I was at an assembly meeting. And an assembly member, they were discussing an ordinance, and an assembly member in referring to renters, people who don't own their own home, made the comment that, well, their opinion doesn't matter. They don't pay property taxes. And that kind of resonated with me. And when I became ombudsman, I started looking at the code and looking at some of the processes. And I realized how we, as government, send a certain message to people who are renters who don't own their own property So previously, if you were accused of a land use violation, so as an example, a woman had lived in a trailer court for 30 years. She received a certified letter from the trailer court's owner's attorney threatening to evict her because she had violated municipal code by having too many garage sales in a year. So when I looked at it, Uh, Number one, the code enforcement officer did kind of a drive-by investigation, didn't actually look at the address on all of the flyers for the garage sales, and it was a lot of our neighbors were having the garage sales. So it was difficult to prove she'd had too many. But what troubled me was she was never notified that the municipality was accusing her of violating a code that could potentially get her evicted because most leases say if you violate local, state, or federal law, you can be evicted. And so we worked with the department to change the policy. So now the property owner and the tenant is notified. And previously, the code, if there was an application for a replat, rezone, a a big project in a neighborhood, the requirement was to send notice of the public hearing or, or the application only to property owners within a certain radius of the proposed project, and in neighborhoods like Mountain View and Fairview that are 80% renter, I live in Fairview, I'm a renter, so 80% of the people in those neighborhoods would not be notified of a project or an application for a rezone or replat that could affect them, so we worked with the department to change the code, so now those notices go to the property owners and to the residents. So I think trying to make the process fair and equitable for everybody, regardless if you live in an $800,000 house on Hillside or you rent an apartment in Fairview, I think that's important. Government needs to treat everybody the same.
1: I want to start wrapping up with a PSA for listeners who might want to bring an issue to your office. What are your recommendations for someone who wants you to investigate something?
0: Do your homework before you contact us. If there's any documents, videos, audio recordings, anything that we would need to look at, gather those before you contact us. So we, we it, it saves us time. It saves uh, people frequently ask to meet with us, and we will ask them to provide those documents, uh, anything they want us to look at before the meeting, so we can do our basic research before we meet with them. Otherwise... All that's probably going to come out of the meeting is we will hear their story and their concerns, and we will say, we have to get back with you. We actually have to do do our research. So helping us prepare, being prepared yourself, helps us to uh, do a better job.
1: Last question. I want to ask about a key member of your team. Apparently, the municipality of Anchorage has an ombuds dog. Please tell us about him.
0: So she's a she. Tigger is my... uh, uh, english bulldog and she is the um, ombuds dog and during the summer the ombuds dog and i like to walk along ship creek and through downtown meeting tourists and we actually hand out muni flag pins lapel pins and talk to people uh, just to ask them about their experiences in anchorage so tigger is our downtown anchorage ambassador
1: Well, Mr. Hess, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Really appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for having me.
1: Thanks for listening to ADN Politics. You can subscribe to the show in whichever podcast app you're listening to right now. You can keep up with the rest of our coverage on ADN.com. And you can subscribe to ADN there, which is the best way to support our work, including this show. Thanks to our guest today, Anchorage Municipal Ombudsman Daryl Hess. This episode was produced by Zachariah Hughes and Evan Phillips. Our music is by Evan Phillips. David Hewlin is our editor. And I'm your host, Elizabeth Harball. Catch you next time.
0: It's a Scandinavian term that means uh, defender or protector of the people's rights. Thanks for listening. This episode of ADN Politics was brought to you by Steam.Coffee, where we source, roast, and present the finest coffees possible.